Welcome to the Sports Nutritionist Podcast. This is Alex Thomas here. I am joined today with Jess Anderson from the association team. Now, some of our audience tend to be people who have never studied before or they don't know too much about sports nutrition. And Jess has given me feedback over the years, months that I speak a little bit too uh, in, in too much of a complex manner. And so Jess joins me every now and then to help me dumb down some subjects about some of our more frequently asked questions that come through for people looking at studying, at the, studying the programs, registering and becoming amended, or, or even just understanding what the Sports Nutrition Association is and does and what a sports nutritionist is as well. So without further ado, we're going to get into this episode and we will have some more of these where she helps me break it down to, into more simpler terms so that way it's more digestible for those who are a little bit more green in the sports nutrition space. I hope you enjoy. We'll start with what is a sports nutritionist? So just breaking it down, um, what is it and what is it compared to a dietitian? Okay, so a sports nutritionist um, is really like a broad term. And before we got started with the, like, with the association that was just Sports Nutrition Australia and um, you know, before it was the association with the countries and regions that we're in now. Um, and before our existence, there was no established standardization as to what that was. So that was like, it was like the wild west. Anyone could call themselves a performance nutritionist, sports nutritionist, a sports nutrition specialist, like we've been talking about. Um, and it could mean anything. Um, and so it could be someone that's done, uh, an undergraduate in exercise physiology and mastered in sports nutrition sciences and exercise and sports nutrition. Um, or it could be someone that's done like a weekend workshop and been like, I know how to calculate calories and that's it. And, you know, um, I'd like to think everyone has the best of intentions to look after people, um, but there's a big disparity between the two. So uh, what we look to do is establish a standard for what that actually is. And so what that standard is, is someone that works within the realm of weight management, body composition and performance for people. And I would say that's probably about 90% to 95% of the clientele that they're going to work with, um, or the people who are seeing someone about their food will want to achieve mm -hmm. in those areas. And, um, they work with those people and they don't. And where the line for where a sports nutritionist starts and ends and where a dietitian takes over is the moment that there's any identified presence of chronic disease or a clinical medical contraindication. And so that's what a dietitian does. And so they're clinically trained, through university to manage, treat, and prevent chronic disease in populations that are present or susceptible to that. Okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So what would you recommend for a sports nutritionist who is working within a gym yep. um, and are in an instance where they do need to refer out, but they may not have existing contacts? What would you recommend doing? Just hit us up. We provide them with the contacts. They'll let us know. We've got obviously got the private Facebook group, mm -hmm. um, which has got, I think, like 13, 1,400 members now. Um, let us know, let us know the region that they're looking. And if the good thing like nowadays with the group and like with how big we are in it, you know, as we continue to grow our member base is that previously it was like me having to like find the people. But now mm -hmm. that we've got a lot of established professionals who are registered with these established networks in certain areas and cities, they just come highly recommended. So if you post in the private group, probably within a day, you're going to be getting someone tagged mm -hmm. that knows someone that they work really well with. And it's a good word of mouth referral Yeah. at that point. And then from there, I can imagine that they would just keep that dietitian as an existing, like they would create their own network and keep that within their own yeah, yeah. point of contact yeah. or future reference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like the role of the sports nutritionist and like my bias is, um, you know, compared to a clinical dietitian that specializes in that, like there's accredited sports dietitians, they're people who do, 
dietetics, go through all the health stuff. Um, and then they'll then go on and do post-grad uh, sports and performance and body composition specific study. Yeah. They're like a super dietitian. Um, but typically if we're looking at just like a graduate dietitian accredited practicing clinical one, um, they typically aren't amazing when it comes to performance, body composition management and weight management mm-hmm. outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the curriculums being taught these days, they're not really looking at energy availability that much. Um, and this stuff's really relevant in those particular areas, depending on the population. So it's my bias that a sports nutritionist is someone that's specifically trained and based on the subjects and we've got them online and it's in our like info packs and stuff um, where it's the combination and amalgamation of basic nutrition and health science physiology. So we're looking at like digestion, metabolism, nutrients, utilization of nutrients, and then combining that with exercise physiology and the applied science there. And that's what it is. So like their understanding energy systems, fuel sources, conditions for utilization, all the applied bioenergetic stuff, um, and how to apply it to the individual. And they understand energy balance and energy availability quite well as well. So those people are better suited to work with clients for a weight management outcome or for a body composition change outcome. And like I said before, it's, you know, it's like 19 to 95% of what people are coming to a nutritionist for is to manage their weight. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got a health condition that you're concerned with as well, then it's that amalgamation of the two. So the dietitian comes in, works as like the architect, and then the sports nutritionist is sort of like the builder, sort of putting it all together and working with the person at a higher frequency. Okay. So they'd be working in conjunction with one another. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So they, like a sports nutritionist typically will hear from their client every week through a weekly check-in, mm-hmm. depending on, um, you know, where the client's at, they might be seeing them once, twice a week initially, and then scaling that back as the client becomes more competent and yeah. literate in certain areas. Whereas classically like a dietitian won't be, they, they tend to charge a little bit more Again, they're working with in, you know, like allied health clinics or like medical clinics um, and they'll be seeing them every sort of like two to four weeks. So the sports nutritionist will just have a higher frequency of contact, points of Mm check-in, the insurance that the professional uh, members policy insurance that we have covers them for that type of service as well. Whereas typically with dietetics, it's not, it's like, again, because allied health and clinical, it's all about that face-to-face appointment. Yeah. Um, You know, so even if the sports nutritionist isn't seeing them weekly. They're getting data from them. So they've just got a more frequent touch point to sort of manage that stuff, which is, you know, really more about the consistency around energy balance, um, uh, you know, like nutrient timing and the consistency of like their output as well. Like they're trained in how to balance, you know, output and input, mm-hmm. whereas a dietitian typically won't have that fundamental understanding of the output and dynamics of output unless they've gone and done like an ex-phys program as well. Yeah. So they're purely chronic diseases and everything. Yeah. Nutrition phys, they understand digestion. Like, and they understand that stuff at a way better degree. Um, but they don't understand, you know, like everyone says like weight loss is, you know, governed by calories in versus calories out. The sports nutritionist understands fundamentally calories out and what is involved with that and how dynamic that is to a way to a far greater degree than that of what like a clinical dietitian will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, unfortunately what we're seeing in practice in, and even to this day is certain dietitians in hospital settings and you know, whatever it is. And it's not to say that we bash all of them. It's like, Hey, there's just a few where they're saying, Hey, like 1400 calories, you know, they're just like farming out these things the same way that people who would call themselves sports nutritionists, but not our accredited members, but people who, you know, the previous self-appointed ones were just giving out the meal plans. And it's just like a bodybuilder's prep thing where it was like fish and rice cakes and all that stuff. Right. So, you know, unfortunately they're sort of giving them out and they just don't have that fundamental understanding of like relative, you know, like what a relative deficit is, how it's relative to the person's previous intake 
how to dynamically apply that with something like energy availability to ensure that, you know, they're not seeing like potential short and long-term negative effects as a result of their energy environment, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and things like that. So, you know, just because someone can lose weight on 1400 calories doesn't mean they necessarily should. Should. Yeah. Or it's optimal for them or the best thing. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So on that note, how do people go about becoming a sports nutritionist with no formal qualification? So the certificate is the entry level program that we run. And this is for people like who, if you haven't studied at all, you can come into this and then you'll receive provisional accreditation. Mm -hmm. And so on our sites and I'm pretty sure it's all over our regional social media pages as well. We've got our yes. levels of accreditation. Yep. Um, so we can probably have that come up on the video or something like that. So provisional is just a more refined scope of practice than what an openly accredited or graduate uh, will receive. And so then they come through, complete the certificate. It's that entry level qualification for them. And then they've got three years to work out if this is actually for them. Right. So provisional is almost like the P plates. Right. And that's why we certific- call it provisional, right? Well, yeah. And so the certificate is the certificate in applied sports nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. So once they complete that, then they're provisionally credited. So it's like they're, um, you know, passing their learner's test to then get their P plates. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've gone through the learners. Now it's time to, you know, get your P plates. And then once you've gone through three years, then they're required to either they'll deregister. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't practice in the space anymore or yep. they double down and dive into further study. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just a requirement. We don't want any of our members settling for a minimum standard of education mm-hmm. as low as the certificate. So yep. we value continued education and continued formal education to a degree. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's going into a relevant bachelor's pathway and undergrad pathway or linking into any of the um, universities or private institutes that we work with, mm-hmm. it's not through us, even though we speak about on our, on our sites um, and then going through a postgraduate diploma pathway that some of these pathways then allow them to bridge into say like a master's program as well. So yep. we don't want them doing a master's, but we say at the minimum postgrad dip. Um, and because they've come through our program with these certain universities and private institutes, they're actually guaranteed entry into those programs because they've completed it with us as well. Okay. So, and they're not super expensive compared to like Australian uni fees or anything like that. So like a graduate diploma here might go from anywhere from twenty to $50,000, depending. Mm-hmm. These programs are about like six to 8000 Right. So with the grad dip. Yeah. So the post-diploma. Yeah, postgraduate diploma. Per, postgraduate diploma. Why is that so hard to say? <laughs> so with that, that is run through yourself through. We don't do it. We refer to private institutes and universities that run it. Okay. And, and people like, I'm glad you asked the question because we've got it on our site. People yeah. think, oh, and we say, hey, we want you to go into it. They think that we run it. Right. We don't. We've got the certificate that's reverse engineered for compliance. So it's got, if you look at the subjects that we have, we've got all the subjects that, um, that are required to tick the boxes for compliance. Um, a lot of these you'll see in university programs and classically half of them are the nutrition phys and nutrition health science stuff and the other half of the ex-phys stuff. Um and so again, it's that amalgamation of the two. And then once they've got that, then they've ticked the boxes for compliance. And then if they have say done an ex-phys degree or a nutrition health science degree, we actually then give them credit for those subjects that they've already done. They don't study, they don't have to do as much assessment. They don't pay as much. Um, and then all they need to do at that point is complete the cert. Then they're good. They don't need any more study. Mm-hmm. But then for those who haven't done something like that, they'll need to go into a postgrad diploma um, or, or a bachelor's at an Aussie uni and just sort of work out how, you know, how they go. You have, let's say someone who has no qualification at all, they would go 
the certificate in applied sports nutrition. Yeah. That'll cover them for three years. Yeah. From there, you need to go and become openly accredited. Yeah. That is through a pathway which is led like we, you, we will it yeah like you so pass if, students onto an external yeah yeah an external an external institute or university so right now there's four off the top of my head so we've got the IOPN um, that's where most of the students go we've got the Holistic Performance Institute there's the IOC like the International Olympic Committee they've got a diploma postgrad diploma as well and then AUT Auckland University of Technology um, we're looking at that next level of entry but then there's a bunch of universities for the people who then want to go and do the masters that accept people with those qualifications. And that's university of Ulster, Roehampton, Middlesex used to as well. Um, three European universities at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, but they don't have to just do those. If they, you know, for instance, like, Hey, I want to, I, I want to do dietetics and I'm just going to go through QUT or university of New South Wales, whatever it is and do dietetics. Yep. Then it's like, cool, just go do that. But if they are, I don't know, like we've got this, um, uh, like our typical recommended pathway or journey for a sports nutritionist and yeah. an accredited sports nutritionist. And I guess we'll just get that to flash up as well so that I can sort of further illustrate this, but our recommended path for them is to actually go through the certificate. And even though we want them to study more within the next three years, we don't want them studying straight away. So we don't want them like rolling from like course to course and just yep. being a perpetual full-time student. Mm-hmm. We want them to at least spend about 12 to 18 months working on refining their practice as a service provider, as an accredited sports nutritionist. So we want to, we want them to actually be there out there in the workforce working as that professional service provider yep. and find out if this is actually for them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, um, compared to a traditional university pathway, say, for instance, and this is what I've been saying to a lot of dietetic students that I'm now speaking to just, you know, through the nature and virtue of my work is um, like, how do you know that you want to be doing this? And they're like, oh, like I I think I do. And I'm like, well, you're not going to find out until you're practicing. Right. So like after four to five years and like 50 to $90,000 worth of debt, Mm -hmm. you get to find out if this is for you. And so my recommendation to them is come when you're in first year or second year, third year, like as soon as you can, don't defer. I'd probably just reduce your, your subject load a little bit, drop one subject for the program. It's probably the equivalent of two subjects um, workload within a six month period. Um, so drop one or two subjects and do this and then start working in the space. Mm-hmm. Because if you do that, you're spending, you know, three to four and a half, or three and a half to four and a half thousand dollars um, depending on sort of if you get any subject credit or anything like that. And then you're able to work it out really, really, really quickly. So it's like three and a half to four and a half grand and six months, as opposed to 50 to 90,000 in four to five years yeah. to work out if this is for you. Mm-hmm. Then if it is for you, well, you were already on the path to study dietetics, right? So just keep doing that because we want you to actually go through. Stay being a member of ours because we're going to have the annual continued CPD and, you know, like the more graduate members that we have, the better. And then be a member of the DAA as well and practice as both. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason that it needs to be oppositional like us or them or anything like no. that. Like I'd rather both. And especially in the space and like the field of dietetics, we're seeing a massive amount of turnover with graduates in private practice. A lot of them think, hey, well, I've got a really good degree. It needed a tertiary score or whatever it is of 98 to get into this program, which is yeah. a really high level. Mm-hmm there must be a lot of jobs out there. Well, within Southeast Queensland, there's about one full-time, one guaranteed full-time position every six months. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the work is in private practice. 
Now, the average dietitian lasts about 12 months in private practice and about 70 to 80% of them then turn over. So a lot of them don't last. So if we can prevent that turnover by getting them provisionally accredited whilst they're already in this program when they're in their first or second year, yeah. we could then offset a lot of that, I, what I would assume, or well, my hypothesis right now is like disappointment in the reality of what that is. Yeah. Um, we could offset that. And then at the same time, we could get them prepared for when they're graduating and have a full client list. Exactly. Because you've been working in it for the last two to three years, right? Definitely. So, you know, like if we look at uni versus traditional education, I guess that's where we're seeing like a bit of a separation in like our recommender model versus like what the traditional one is. Yeah. And I think the final sort of point that I guess reinforces my bias to our recommendation is that, um, you know, these people are spending four to five years being lectured at and being assessed and submitting assessment. Whereas if you were to complete the certificate and practices this as your part-time job whilst you're going through this program, then you're spending three, four, five years coaching people and working with people and learning what's involved in building a client list, learning and what's involved in selling your clients to buy into the program that you're giving them, mm -hmm. generating referrals for your, from your clients. And then at the same time, you know, getting them results and then helping them with their long-term success. Absolutely. So I sort of look at, those professions and see like they're pretty similar in terms of their service provision. Yeah. The scope is different, mm -hmm. but if we can get people to, you know, get access to this earlier and then work out if it's for them earlier, Definitely. I see it as a, to me, it like, it makes sense. Like imagine if I said to you, Hey, I've got this business idea, give me 50 or 90 grand. And in four to five years, I'll find out if it's going to, if, if this is for me or not, will you pay me back? Like, will you give me that money? I may not be able to pay you back. <laughs> you'd be like, you'd laugh me out of town. You'd be like, this is the worst business idea ever. And yet we have hundreds of people within Southeast Queensland every semester enrolling into these programs and not knowing. Yeah. Nationally, I don't know what the numbers are, but like, it's, it's not great. Mm. And the same for, um, and this isn't to shit on dietetics. The same is for exercise science, like especially, especially all the iterations Definitely. of like exercise science, sports science, exercise and nutrition science. Like every time I look, there's about, two new iterations of these programs. And I think presently, like I checked about nine months ago, there's about 16 different variations of these programs, exercise and sports, nutrition, science at uni and stuff. They're pretty much the same thing. All it is, is you're a glorified personal trainer. Right. You'll register with ESSA at the end of the year, exercise and sports science Australia. Yeah. You get no nutrition scope, but you'll do a lot of exercise subjects or a lot of nutrition science subjects. And you might do, if say you do a lot of exercise, you might do one or two nutrition electives. Yeah. Or say you get a lot of nutrition subjects, you might get like one or two exercise ones not enough to meet our compliance stuff to be an accredited sports nutritionist, but you get a fair bit of credit with us. But again, you know, that 40 to 70,000, I, I saw someone um, this, and this was crazy. I'll, I'll send it so we can have this up on the screen, but this was about 12, 18 months ago that someone got a quote for a um, X science program. It was $87,000 on the Commonwealth health program, right? Which is crazy. And so the, at least with, with, with being a dietitian, you get a private health provider number, your revenue is GST free. Yeah. and exempt your ex science, no private health provider number. And there's GST on everything that you do. So like from my end, and this is just my opinion and I don't want to discourage people enrolling in these programs, but if I was looking at this, I would be like, right, I'm going to do the certificate pathway. That's, you know, from, from the ground up four and a half grand. I'm going to go into a post-grad diploma for another $6,000. I'm looking at like 10 and a half grand. The master's programs are between 50, 15 to $20,000. This is all Australian, but these, these institutes that we work with in universities, 
unlike the Australian ones, are just a little bit cheaper. And they do, we all provide you with payment plans and it's all linked and it's all like, you know, a legitimate, like University of Ulster, University of Roehampton, Middlesex, these are good universities. And they've got good nutrition, like sports nutrition programs in place at a postgraduate level. Same thing with AUT. Like AUT is phenomenal. Their facilities are way better than anything I've seen in Australia. They, um, pre-COVID, they had something like that, an average of about 90 PhD students just in performance sciences, mm-hmm. which like shits on anything that we've had in Australia in the last, I think ever, but definitely in the last decade. So these are like good university programs, but if we're looking at it, we're saying 15 grand for a master's and about 10 and a half, you're looking at you know, like $25,500 and you've got a master's yeah. and you can work and earn and be working in the space the whole time while you're doing this. Yeah. That's yeah. the big benefit with it because, you know, so, so often I see people doing their bachelor's degree. They're not going to be working until they finish it, which is no. three to four years down the line. So if you can at least be working, you know, casually or part-time whilst you're studying, it's a bit of a win on both ends where you're doing, you know, the theoretical work, but you are doing the practical yeah. work as well. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, oh, so we're looking at getting this lab space, right. Mm-hmm. And just, so my commercial real estate agent, he's got a, he's got a bachelor's in exercise science yeah, and he's working as a property agent in commercial real estate because mm-hmm. there's just no jobs. Or the jobs are private practice, but limited scope, and you might as well be a personal trainer. Yeah, it does happen like and that. And so XFIS, on the other hand, is good. Private health provider number, but it's not GSC exempt, but it's the same thing for me. And if you want to work in musculoskeletal XFIS, that's great. Or if you want to use that as an undergrad to get into like postgraduate study, by all means do it if you want to be a researcher and stuff. But I just think there's a lot of limitations that people aren't considering. And I mm-hmm. think that if you're going into applied nutrition or sports sciences, you should be doing the certificate in for as early as possible, first or second year, drop a subject or two to offset it. And the crazy thing is subject costs nowadays, they're like two and a half grand minimum a subject anyway. Yeah. If you drop two subjects and you do our certificate, you're literally saving money in that time and you're working out even sooner whether or not this is for you. Because we just say, hey, within three years, do it. So yeah, our recommended that like that, I guess that's my sort of take on like modern universities. And our, my recommended thing is we, we want you to study more, but we don't want you to be a perpetual full-time student. So, you know, again, referring back to sort of our recommended journey, we want you to spend 12 to 18 months experiencing the ebbs and flows as you're trying to build your client base. Cause what, and then at, get better at coaching people, yeah. like the behavioral psychology side of things, and then refining your systems. Cause you're typically a sole trading individual service provider. Mm-hmm. And so the trend that we seem to like see with people is they focus on clients and they get all these clients. And then as they start getting a lot of clients and they stop doing those systems that got them, yeah. now they start working on how to be a better coach. Cause like, I'm going to get these people results. And so they focus on the coaching, coaching gets better, but because they're not doing the client stuff, then the client acquisition drops off and they lose a few clients and they're yeah. like, Oh shit, I got to sell more. So then, then, then they start like dropping off the coaching side of things and dropping mm-hmm. the ball there. And it's just this, you know, this symbiotic ebb and flow sort of relationship and the refinement of things comes as well. And so we want them to experience like the losses associated with it. Like, mm-hmm. and, and then, and then that'll help them determine if this is really for them. It's like, yeah. you know, experience what it's like losing a bit, like losing some clients, um, you know, being down, like feeling some of the losses, like being in the dirt and getting your hands dirty and being there for a while. And mm-hmm. if you know that you still love it and this is exactly, for you, yeah. then by all means do it. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, this is the career for you. And, you know, You'll if, know if, that, if, if you're lucky it. enough to do it, you know, and you can, you know, earn six figures from your computer on the beach and stuff, this is not it. <laughs> but I think that it's far, I think that it's far superior 
to any of the current models out there um, that, that are currently on offer from the traditional models, right? And that's talking on the spectrum from personal trainer or fitness instructor through to ex-science, sports science, ex-phys, and through to dietitian. The limitations of PT are you t- typically it's, a, it's appointment-based face-to-face work and all of them pretty much have that. None of their policies really give them online. Um, most people won't have, even if they're doing online training saying it, they don't have a policy to support that. And it's really hard to give online training, like an online training service, mm-hmm. like in a digital world where physically people just want you to rock up and do it. So like proximity to where they are really influences that a lot. Yeah. Typically they'll work with say 20 to 25 clients in a week and they'll see them sometimes two or three times a week. And if a client drops off, you notice that. Yeah. And that's the same from personal trainer through to X science, X phys. And then dietitian, the issue that we have with that is, is they're not covered for an online check-in policy. And so even if you were running check-ins, you're not covered for it. And really you shouldn't like, there's not much value in uh, someone managing chronic disease as a dietitian in that capacity. Mm -hmm if that makes sense. So they're like, they'll, you know, it's like, Hey, how's your blood glucose been? Well, sweet. Like a, you know, like a type one diabetic, they've been doing that their whole life. So they don't really care. They'll work on the education. So they don't need a weekly check-in in that capacity. Someone that's on, um, beta blockers and heart medication. It's like, cool. Have you not eaten grapefruit this week? Week? Well, you know, like, well, I guess they're alive. So they haven't eaten grapefruit and they haven't died from that, you know? So it's like, the things are that they work on in that sense, in that clinical setting is really like, Hey, go away, implement this, come back in a few weeks time. We'll see how you're going yeah. and then give them some feedback in that mm-hmm. capacity. Whereas, but they get to work with a lot more people than what say a traditional personal trainer would, but a dietitian and an ex with a lower appointment frequency, their yeah. client list might be 50 for an ex 60 with a dietitian for full books, looking at like, you know, an appointment every three to four weeks, you need 120 clients and that's your problem. You've got, it takes a long time to get there. Definitely. Whereas if you're an accredited sports nutritionist, you can work with, you know, you start, you start doing pretty well at about, you know, that 20 to 25, like a PT, but you can work with a lot more as the clients are in different stages of the client cycle. Right. So once they're good, weekly check-ins are sweet. They don't need to see you that frequently and they can come and see you probably once every four weeks in person. Mm -hmm. So you might have 20 appointments that you do in a week or 25 appointments that you do in a week, but you might work with 75 clients. And so, because they're on that three weekly appointment frequency, you're seeing them once every three weeks and then, but everyone else is still checking in with you weekly. And so you're still able to generate some revenue. So my bias at the moment is like, Hey, this is a way better business model. And then if you still go on and study and you do your X science, you do your X fears, you do dietetics, you can still then do those services in that face-to-face capacity, but then you've still got cover and a service that you're offering that people actually buy into weekly, which is those check-ins, which is like looking at managing output and intake Mm -hmm. in a very dynamic, but accurate and evidence-informed capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think- Not really, you're not just like stringing them along for the sake of like getting money. It's a valuable service and it doesn't cost that much. Like a check-in- you know, it might be any, they might start as low as depending on who the practitioner is. And I wouldn't encourage them $25, $30 a week. Um, I, you know, uh, the average price is about 40 to $60 a week for a check-in and that's reasonable, you know, mm, that's as, very. as opposed to something that's, you know, at, like if you dietitian or in like, yeah, there's private health rebates, but they're, they're not more than like 30% on average. They might charge, you know, uh, $140 for a one hour consult you might be out of pocket $80. That 80 bucks is still more than a $50, $60 a week check-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, we get inquiries as well about people who have like looked at the vast program, vast fitness Academy. Um, they even advertise. I like, honestly, I, I, I don't even care about like all these other things, but I just want to provide, I look into this stuff to now give people the information that I can best give. So that way they can make the most informed decision, like from their end mm-hmm. and like what they would prefer. Right. So I did Google search and, um, I found this out searching for how we were ranking on Google or something like that. So we're number one on Google. Um, cause we've been there for the longest, but one of the AdWords is like study sports nutrition today, fast fitness Academy, but it's only a certificate for in nutrition. It's not sports nutrition. They might have an element of a subject that's sports nutrition, but it is not sports nutrition. They are not learned. It's not the same subjects. It's not even close to the same thing. And so you get to register with the nutrition council of Australia or something, which is just some body that they form to basically say you can be a part of this body. But the, the, the scope of practice and the product disclosure with the insurance and all that stuff is no different to a personal trainer. You are coaching and advising people on their food. You are not prescribing anything specific. They're even doing things to say like, don't go to uni, become a nutritionist today and don't go to uni. And personally, this is where I draw a line with it. It's like, I, and I have an ethical problem with things like that. So one, don't misrepresent nutrition with like sports nutrition for nutrition. It's nutrition. It might be an element of sports. Like, that is what it is. But two, do not discourage people and dissuade people from further education. Like I personally have a hard time saying, look, spend 80 grand on this thing. And I was, I was shitting on the concept of an applied science and all that stuff degree, but I still, we still want our members to go and do it because it is a requirement. The underwriters and insurers would laugh us out of the room with our insurance policy and the professional policy, mm-hmm. if we said, no, just some certificate that we've reverse engineered to help with compliance is sufficient mm-hmm. and we don't want anything more. That's our, that's, that's our standard of qualification. And these people are going to be taking people through weight cuts and preps for bodybuilding shows and all this stuff. And, or they're going to be working with morbidly obese people on their weight management. They're going to be working with, you know, um, uh, elite athlete who's drug tested and looking to go to the Olympics or whatever it is. Like that's crazy. Um, people should not be even like sold into settling for the minimum. My recommendation, like I've said before is do the cert. If you're in one of those programs, if you're in an X science program, a sports science program, nutrition science program, dietetics, whatever those are, do the cert, drop a subject or two in that semester Use the money that you'd spend on those subjects, do the certificates, start practicing and work out if it's for you. But like we have with our, our member breakdown is that our members must have grad dip or bachelor's after three years of re- registration with us. We want that. We want to encourage that. Everyone deserves the opportunity and should be encouraged to study um, and, and go further with formal education than just a certificate or a diploma. Mm-hmm. Have a postgraduate diploma or bachelor's. They're pretty much ranked at the same level. And that's what you should be encouraged to do. Mm-hmm. And even if you think you're not smart enough, trust me, you are. Like you can like like you can do this. If you like this and you want to fully immerse yourself in this, you are smart enough. And the members of our advisory board who are some of the top academics in the world they will strongly encourage this, you know, for, for you to jump into this. They want you to do this as well. And, and like, if you ever, if you ever doubt yourself, just look to their examples because a lot of them didn't start formal education once they graduated high school. I know for instance, like Eric Helms uh, from memory was in the air force. Right. Mm. And then he was working as a personal trainer and then started doing his undergraduate at a community college and then transferred into a good college and then started doing his masters that way. But he was doing this in like his, I think his mid twenties. He didn't start his PhD 
um, until he was around 30. And this was a guy who was just in the Air Force and he liked, he liked coaching people, coaching natural bodybuilders, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's, you know, and he's one of the top, you know, strength and muscle physiology and nutrition as it relates to body composition and performance researchers in the world nowadays. So like- it's entirely possible, but I, I have a big problem when people sort of misrepresent that and do that stuff. And then there's another one uh, that I wanted to uh, mention. I think um, one thing that I want to make clear as well is like people have the uh, understanding or perception that the Sports Nutrition Association or anyone registered with Australia and stuff is that they're ISSN certified. Mm. Like we recommend that they do the exam. Yeah. It's not even a part of our, it's not even a mandatory part of our curriculum. Like we like the ISSN, the journal's great. Um, they're a nonprofit research journal, right? JISSN, mm -hmm. Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, but they're not a professional accreditation body. Mm. And just because they've got certification exams yeah. and charge a membership, which gives people access to the journals and right. additional research, yeah. does not mean that they are a professional member of a prof of a professional body. Right. They're like it's a nonprofit journal. It is not a professional body that says, hey. These, these are the standards that you must uphold as a member. This is the code of conduct. This is best practice. And then here, if you follow this and you meet this education requirement that we have, mm -hmm. then you are eligible to, and, and register with us, then you are eligible to take out this professional policy that in the event that everything, anything goes wrong, will be covered for and provided you follow these codes of conduct and practicing standards, we will endorse your practice. And that's, that's what a professional body does. And people start like, think that that's the case. Right. And, and it's not. It's a membership to a research yep. platform almost. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, to additional research and stuff and by all means do it, but don't misrepresent that. Mm. I mean, still to this day in Australia, we have some of our members being like, oh, I sent it. If I see it, I'm like, guys, change it. I have seen that. For crying out loud, like, please change this because it's that. not even close. Yeah. And as from an insurance perspective, like little details like that, or if they put that on their business card or if it's on the, like, you know, your Instagram bio nowadays is like a business card. It is. That could be argued that you've misrepresented your qualification and could potentially um, impact your ability to be covered. Just things like that, right? It's not saying that it will, but, you know, people look for percentages of responsibility in these types of claim situations and you don't want to have that happen. So mm -hmm. that's one. There's another one where I think they're called like build my PT career, your PT career. And it's like, we're going to give nutrition cover for these people. And they're using the ISSN exam as like a way to do it. That stopped being an insurably recognized thing with us four years ago. The insurers were like, no way are we covering someone who gets, who passes a multiple choice exam online when they can use Google on the portal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, we're not covering them. Like, yeah. so we have, I think we have 30 something exams and six full on detailed case studies, plus a practical submission just for the certificate. Mm -hmm. That's just the certificate. It's not a pass fail exam. We say by all means, go sit the exam. If you want, we recommend that you do it. You'll develop your knowledge and understanding further, yeah. but it's not some, it's not, you're not getting covered guys. There's absolutely no way. And it's funny because those companies, like all of the ones that I've listed, they don't get cover. It's not what you think. Honestly, it's BS. You're not going to, you can't register with us. You're not registering with, uh, as, as a clinically registered nutritionist. You can't call yourself a nutritionist. You can't call yourself a sports nutritionist and you're not a dietitian and you can't call yourself that either. So it's like, as long as you know that by all means, like if you want to do it and you want to learn it, that's awesome. And that's what we call a hobby course. Yeah. And these hobby courses are great if you know, that they're for a hobby. 
you want to learn this. If it's like, hey, I'm doing a weekend workshop, we're going to talk about cortisol's impact on fat loss. Contrary to what a lot of people think though, is that cortisol is necessary for fat loss and actually is a part of the fat loss process. So if any of the people were like listening or like watching us and they're thinking, yeah, I'm assuming you say cortisol is bad for fat loss. It's like, no. And in leaner individuals, when they've been dieting, their cortisol is higher. Mm -hmm, Definitely. It actually helps mobilize the fat cell to be metabolized, right? So cortisol is not that bad thing, but it gets a bad rap. But say there's a weekend workshop, you want to learn about those processes, then by all means do it. Just, but you're not going to be able to implement it, right? If you've learned about like how to structure macronutrient ranges, they'll teach you like, this is what you do with a client. But then if you go after them at the end and say, hey, so am I registering as a clinical nutritionist, accredited sports nutritionist, accredited practicing dietitian? Like, do you give me the forms for that at the end of this? They're going to be like, Nope. Uh, you get yeah. a certificate of completion. Yeah, you, you, get a, get. you get a participation yeah. award, right? Like that's pretty much it. So yeah. That's, that's, that's where you're at. Hobby course is great. PN is an amazing hobby course and you get a lot out of it from that. The only other one that I didn't mention was Mac nutrition. Um, they've got an insurance policy. I don't know enough about it. I haven't seen the product disclosure, but it doesn't cover the same things as an accredited, um, sports nutritionist. And it's not the same thing as a clinical nutritionist either. We don't, we recognize part of the curriculum. So we'll credit it, credit it. And there's a lot of hobby course, like pretty much it, is the only hobby course that we are, we aren't affiliated with that we will actually give credit. We give about 20 to 30% credit mm-hmm. because the curriculum's good, but it does look at things like, um, like treatment and management of certain chronic diseases. And there's absolutely no way you can do that without having a degree right? Yeah, in our country. So not registered, not reg- not recognized by, um, nutrition society of Australia, which is the clinical nutritionists. You need a degree for that one, not registered, not recognized by Dietitians Association of Australia either, but it's good. It's got a good curriculum, but if you can't register with any of us, you're not recognized in that country for practicing as that you make claims as that to be practicing as that profession. And then something goes wrong. You are in a lot more hot water, even if you do have an insurance policy than if you were registered with that body, because a lot of the policies say, you know, um, your qualification, you're qualified, duly qualified in line with the minimum standard with the national regulatory bodies mm-hmm. to where you're being sued, right? Or if it's in America, it's in, you know, in relation to your state. Um, so malnutrition, not here, not in the UK, not in the US. I don't know the story with Asia um, and it's not in NZ either. So not recognized in any of those. Whereas we've got a couple of affiliate um, programs that we actually like, we've seen their curriculum, we work with them, um, that's the NAMS program in America, National Academy of Metabolic Sciences. It's a really good curriculum. Dr. Joe Clemjuicy wrote it. He's one of our board members. So he just handed over the curriculum straight away. And it was like, bam, this is epic. Right. We can credit a ton of this stuff. And the same thing with the Holistic Performance Institute. They've got a level one and level two. The level two is like the postgraduate diploma level. Mm-hmm. We recommend people go into that. If they're looking at additional study and they want to learn more about clinical health. Yeah. Um, Otherwise the level one gets a ton of credit as well, because like, again, we've seen it and the subjects and, and it just so happens that the subjects and course materials are there. And so we're like, yep, cool. Um, so graduates of these programs get a ton of credit and you know, they're more than just hobby courses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But everything else, it's just a hobby course. It doesn't matter if it's a weekend. doesn't matter if you study for 12 months, if you're not registering with us, it's a hobby course. And then when, when you walk away, essentially the only thing you can still provide advice on is the national dietary, dietary guidelines. Yeah. yeah. 
It doesn't matter what you call it yourself. Doesn't change anything. It doesn't matter what you write on Instagram. You're a personal trainer, or you're an ex scientist, or whatever it is. You are what you are registered to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was like Recomp. I'm, I don't even know. Like I think they've got like eighty active members now, or something like that. And it's just this like weird bodybuilding deadlift this much and you know, blah, blah, blah. But apparently you're a body recompositioning specialist or something like that. You are not a sports nutritionist. The ISSN exam, the SNS, which is like the basic level one, that's a part of that as well. Again, if that's your only claim to sports nutrition, you're not getting insurance. You're not getting it through us. You're not getting it through the DAA. You're not getting it through Nutrition Society of Australia. It's that simple. So, you know, I'd rather people just be aware of where things sit. Um, Some of these programs, these hobby programs are really good. Others aren't that great. And others were just like born out of the places where they got rejected or they've been sued. So they can't be members of other places anymore anyway. So like certain programs were like people who created programs with Fitness Australia and then Fitness Australia were like, no, nah, that's dangerous. You can't do that anymore. And they were like, they kicked them out. And so they created the, their other ones because they were like kicked out and sued. And so they didn't want to be like Fitness Australia didn't want to like risk the affiliation with those people or, you know, Thing, things like that, or they'll be like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to have to go to uni. I don't want to have to do these programs. I think a minimum standard is fine. Like I'm just going to create this and create my own rules and stuff. And it's like, no, these rules exist for a reason, you know, because there is the potential for significant harm. Yeah, It might be one in a hundred, but the whole thing is, is like, if you want to do this to actually help people, then that one person in a hundred matters might be one in a thousand. It doesn't matter. You want to get them the best outcome and you want to avoid that really chronically negative experience for them. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, people should be approaching things if they're looking at this as a profession. If you're going to double down on this as your profession, then you should be thinking long-term for the best of everyone, for the best of every client and potential client that you have, for the best of all your fellow members. And you want to be doing yourself and everyone proud in that capacity. So that that's, that's, what, that's, who, that's the members that we're looking for. We don't want, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 members. I think Precision Nutrition had like over 300,000 people go through their program. We don't want that. We want like, if in 20 years time we have 40,000 members and our turnover of members is 5% every, uh, sorry, 20% every four to five years and 70 to 80% of our members at that point in time are graduate and openly accredited, you know, we've done awesome. And their values are all like that. That's great. That's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. With personal trainers, I see that clients really value the nutrition side of things as well, because with personal trainers, often the nutrition side of things is quite weak, Mm. but for those who have actually done the sports nutritional association certificate, um, they do dive into nutrition quite deeply to the point where their clients are getting actively involved Mm. in nutrition, making meals that they wouldn't have thought they could have had before. They realize how much they can eat and they don't need to cut out every, every second thing. Mm. Um, and I've seen such a great response from clients based on nutrition yeah, and their literacy of it, right? Exactly. So it's and like- they, they learn things in a practical way without feeling like it's too complicated for them. Mm. Um, and I think that that niche in the personal training industry is booming and anyone who jumps into sports nutrition will reap that reward as well because it's needed mm. and it isn't exposed enough, I feel, like the nutrition realm in personal training. I'm not really- No, no, I know I'm what not you're really saying. Getting and this is a good segue because yeah. I want to talk about this thing because it's like, so we started what, like five years ago now, like, 
SNA, like formally, we're in our fifth year now for like our formal inception. It started eight years ago as a passion project to really like cover my own bum mm-hmm. um, as like a facility owner at the time and finding out that, hey, there was no insurance for this type of stuff. Even though I had ex-scientists, ex-visitors, I had a dietitian on staff and it was like, hey, all these other people who have this and even though they've done these subjects, they're not covered and we don't have a policy in Australia. So like, I was like, well, shit, we need one. So went out and did that. That's the short version. But basically, um, you know, like people have identified since, you know, I've sort of started the mission of, we want to establish this, we want to establish standardization in what it actually means to be a sports nutritionist. Mm -hmm. And we want to establish a code of conduct for professionals. We want to establish best practicing standards as well. And then we want to have annual reviews of all our members to hold them to that level that we know. And we want our members to have certain values and practice in certain ways, right? This is all come from a place of like, hey, we can be doing better. And like, I would like to see this positive change, but other places have sort of seen our example and then being like, wow, there's money to be made. And yeah, there is, but for like, you know, fortunately for them, that's great. Unfortunately for us, it's like the mission is in the next like 10, 20 years, like do we have 30 to 40,000 members practicing the right way with a low turnover, right? So with the average member turnover being 20% every four to five years, as opposed to fitness being 60 to 70% every six months and dietetics being, uh, you know, 70% every 12 months in private practice, can we, you know, do better? And are our, are our professional members making a greater impact? And, uh, you know, have we established this standard? And, and is it something that people are like, wow, I really want to be an accredited sports nutritionist. It means something. Yeah. So for me, it's unfortunate that people are just focusing on the potential profits and not considering the greater impact that watering down the, you know, watering down the standards and trying to sort of mimic what we're doing is and, or, or you know, or, potentially like getting sales on the back of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it's, Hey, that's part of a capitalist market, but mm-hmm. I do want to address that because, you know, my mom got this newspaper article the other week, like we've been published in papers. This is, wasn't about us. And she was like, Oh, you know, I thought this was your business and congrats and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's not. So <laughs> this was to do with the AIF with their nutrition coach. And so what people saw, especially in COVID was that, Hey, like personal training is a really limited, um, like service, mm-hmm. you're screwed. You're based on face to face. And yeah. what we learned with COVID was that like, if you have that type of business, you're in a lot of trouble. And so within Australia, and we didn't even get hit hard by COVID compared yeah. to a lot of other countries. We, within the fitness industry, it got cut down by about 50% within about 60 days. So 50% of the members deregistered and then stopped. Our members, I think we had like 1% or less than 1% suspend their training insurance. And some of them stopped practicing in the nutrition space for about two or three months as well. But it was less than that 1% of our member base um, that did this. And it was because like they had like partners that were out of work and they needed to support the kids. So they weren't actively working either. Yeah. Those were the ones that stopped practicing. The others just stopped their training insurance. Um, but what they saw was that, hey, this is really limited and nutrition tends to have a superior uh, sustainability in lieu of a pandemic like this. Right. And so they jumped on the whole, like, all right, we're jumping on this bandwagon. There's a market here. And like, yeah, there is. Um, absolutely. However, not going through like the proper processes, they're just putting out these programs being like, do this certificate for or, or something in like health, nutrition, health or nutritional health or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nutritional health promotions in your community, or there's nutrition and dietetic cert threes, um, all these different things. Workshops, seminars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, so these are the bigger programs and they're like, yeah. And you can be a nutrition coaching advisor or mm-hmm. you can be a nutrition guide or, you know, like I'm like, 
what is that? Is that like a scout's guide? Like what are they doing? Are they showing them where to like find the food in the forest or like, <laughs> how, like, it, like because there's no defined scope on all these things, right? Yeah. And so all, all, all they come out with at the end of the day is this ability to have the same insurance as what a personal trainer says, which mm-hmm. means that they can coach within the National Australian Dietary Guides, mm-hmm. which basically the guides are great. They're going to get you results up until a certain point. But after that point, then you need to manage dynamic energy expenditure and intake. And that's really what applied sports nutrition is, right? And so there's programs like the ones that I'm aware of. Um, and I think some of them are saying sports like, so we've got this AIF one. I think there was FIA Fit Nation, HPC, do some programming on the coast. Um, there's Clean Health. They, I think they say performance nutrition now. Clean Health is not covered. Um, we get people who have done that program hitting us up. And now they're saying something like, if you use our software, um, then you're covered, like some software. Like you're not covered. Like the way this stuff works is there's uh, the Dietitians Association of Australia. And if you want to be a dietitian, you have to complete what used to actually be like a postgrad and master's in dietetics, but some of them now there's like these funky little bachelors that are sort of like including enough subjects, but four to five year degree or four to five years of full-time study, right? To register with them as a dietitian. You want to be a clinical registered nutritionist. It's a four year health science degree for us. It's at least the certificate as the minimum at a provisional level. And then for open accreditation, you have to have post-grad dip or bachelor's as your minimum. It, these things, they just, they just don't exist. So, um, you know, clean health. No, we get people hitting us up about it all the time who have done it. It's like, we, we don't even recognize much of the credit, right? Because up until I, I think it was about nine months ago, they were still teaching like nutrition principles based on somatotype and like this endomorph needs less carbs and all this <laughs> stuff. And there's just like, there's no, there's, there, there's no, strong weight of scientific literature to support making those recommendations whatsoever. A lot of this stuff just comes from like bro science. Anthropometrics, if we're saying like based on skeletal links and limb links, hey, there's some stuff, but measuring that is very, very hard. And we can't just do it with our eyes or anything like that. It's not about, you know, where you store body fat on your body or anything like that. That's not going to inform your nutrition practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so clean health, no. Um, precision nutrition, that's all around, like, you're not a nutritionist. You should not be charging for that. They don't, they make no warranties about that. It's all, that's all about coaching the behaviors, right? Like have a palm size serving of meat, you know, have a palm size for meat, a fist for uh, vegetables. And I think it's like fingers for grains or something like that. Basic things, very similar to our guides. That's good. If you're learning how to coach behaviors around food, precision nutrition is good, but are you a nutritionist? No, absolutely not. Um, are you able to prescribe? Macro targets and no, calorie targets. No, 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 none of this stuff. That's a common stuff. one. Yeah, they think macros that it's like, calories. oh, I'm just doing calories and macros. You're not covered. You're where, a personal trainer. And also where is That's the information, not in the where's the information coming from? If you decide to give someone a macro target um, or a calorie target, what is impacting your decision it's to give them It's what they coach gave number? them. It's what it, they coach gave where's them. Where's that magic number coming from? It's what their coach gave them. <laughs> that's like, that's it. It's just the hand-me-down culture, right? Like we work on programs and initiatives at like within Australia and like globally within the association now that look to tackle some like big ticket items that we see as like massive areas, massive gaps in the industry where a lot of harm can be caused. Mm-hmm. The two areas that we've uh, identified that need the most direction and, and discretion around best practice is that of weight cutting for sports like predominantly fighters, com- yeah. combat sports, but it could be any form of weight cutting, weightlifting, um, jockeys looking to make weight and maintain their weight, gymnasts, whatever it is. So about, weight cutting. What about bodybuilding? And then bodybuilding and contest prep, right? Mm-hmm. And so fitness to me 
in my own personal opinion, is just an extension of what we see in the bodybuilding realm, right? Like we're, we're seeing a, a greater diversification of evidence-informed practices and practitioners coming into the space, but it's typically like that. Both of those areas, the like the synonymous trend in both of those areas is that for both of them, it's all about handing down knowledge from the coaches within the gyms who are respected. And unfortunately, it's like some of that stuff is what we would call like, you know, we'd refer to as bro science. And some of it is right, but some of it is wrong and very dangerous, dangerously wrong. Like that leads to like, you know, you've heard, people have heard the um, uh, urban legends of bodybuilder X passing out on stage and all this stuff. These things are true. You know, people have had strokes backstage mm-hmm. um, in competitions and collapse and it's been strokes and they've like swept it under the rug. We've had people just recently in Australia a girl has like second or third degree burns up her legs because she had like, she was from a mal, from a maladvised weight cut from a nutrition professional that wasn't accredited with us. Wasn't, you know, accredited with really anyone um, in that capacity. Right. So they're in a sauna with a sauna suit on sweating, which is like a terrible thing. Cause like you only need one of those two. I just recommend sitting in a sauna. You just need a controlled environment where you're actually sweating. Then you need to maintain the sweat and sweat is a cooling mechanism. Right. So, the sweat coming out is, you know, evaporative cooling that we're effectively looking at. Um, A sauna suit then makes that way harder. And so this person's like got burns on their legs and then they've said, oh, my legs are hurting, they've made weight and stuff. And the person's like, you know what? Like cryo is so good for recovery. And they've sent them to a cryo space. Now, what are we taught when we do first aid? Never rapidly cool a burn. And that's what they did and the burns got worse. And so that's just one example, right? So we're trying to tackle that stuff. But what we see, you know, based on this hand-me-down culture that we have Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you know, trainers, they're just like, hey, my coach is really good. And we don't want to believe that our coaches aren't that great, but our our coach is really, my coach is great. This is what he gave me. I'm getting results. Yeah. I'm going to give it to my clients now. Yeah. I've learned everything there is to know about nutrition. I've been there. I was, I was mucking around at uni spinning my wheels and I was getting coached by like, you know, the biggest guy in the gym, IFBB, you know, former IFBB pro and all this stuff. I was like, he knows way more, you know, than lecturers and all this stuff, you know, look at him. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, and like now I know way more these than these people at uni because I'm working with this guy Yeah. and it's just not true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I've done it and here I am like doing what I'm doing with the association and teaching this stuff. So if I can do it, I know for sure that that's what people are doing as well. And that's like, that may not, may not be like the mentality for everyone, but mm-hmm. this hand-me-down culture is very strong in gyms at the moment. And it's mm-hmm. like their coach, it, it, it's come from a coach. It's come from a friend that they've seen. It's, you know, it's monkey see monkey do. Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, you know, we need to respect the impacts that nutrition have and, and, and the potential risks associated with, you know, touching people's food. And it may not be like a, a direct health risk. It may not be the burns. It might be like the emotional risks associated with yeah. like, all right, you're going to have a cheat day. Why did it like, why did you cheat on your diet? You've got a cheat day. And then just yeah. starting to vilify mm. food or like food habits mm-hmm. or like this food's good. This food's bad. And they become orthorexic. Yeah. And this is the stuff. These are the seeds that if you're not mindful as a practitioner, someone that at least has the bare minimum amount of knowledge required to be effective without doing harm, which is what the accredited sports nutritionists are, even at a provisional level, if if you've got the bare minimum effective amount of knowledge to know what you're working with and do no harm, then you can be like effective with people. But, you know, 
I hope is do as little harm as possible with these things. Whereas these other people, they're not aware of the seeds and it's not from a lack of good intent. They want to help people. They do. They do want to help people. I think um, people, as you said, people don't really understand how much of an impact that food does have on people's psychology, Mm. the way that they view food, the way that they perceive, you know, what food should be consumed and what food shouldn't be. Um, Yeah, it does make a huge impact and I'm kind of having a bit of a mental store here, so we'll get back to where I'm going. But I just want to talk about like tracking and things like that because with personal trainers – as there is that pass down, yeah. was it hand me down? Hand me down. Yeah, it's like it's a close, right? Where your coaches coached you in a certain way, you think it works really well. Yeah. So you pass it down onto your client. It's like without thinking about context. It's like you get your big brother's shirt, and when he's when you he's grown out of it, and now you know you're big enough. Now now you wear that shirt, and it's like it's this hand me down thing, right? It's like it was good for them. Now it's going to work for me. Right. Nutrition isn't clothes. It's not. And I think that there is a lack of um, contextual questioning or what's the word? It's like they don't think about the bigger picture. Yeah, critical appraisal of the individual, right? They don't do that. Oh, my God, I'm literally just stalling so badly right now. I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. So what Um, you want to talk about is tracking. I'm trying to say there is no critical thinking around nutrition in the sense that there is this tool called tracking and people – instantly think that that is the answer. Um, yeah, and, and, it's, and, and they no, think it's so fucking easy, it, right? It's so black and white. Yeah, it's when like, in reality, it's not. No, no. It's like, um, okay, so, and this is the thing. The assumption is, and we've I've seen so many like fitness professional post something like this, and it's primarily fitness professional, not nutritional professionals, because like typically nutritional professionals understand what it's like working with someone at a grassroots level in this capacity who has a really low level literacy. So they won't communicate the same, but typically as fitness professionals, influencers, I've spoken with you about it just like privately. I don't like call out culture that much. Um, I'll, I'll avoid it as much as I can. Um, and so I'll message them privately and be like, Hey, it'd be worth, you know, like adding this to your post. So that way you can, um, you know, just like keep a more balanced perspective, but they approach it where it's like, Hey, it's two minutes of your day. Stop being so fucking lazy. But it's like for us, the, you know, the, fitness and nutrition professionals, it is easy. We gravitated naturally toward that. Exactly. But it's like, you know, like when I look at a lot of us, like a lot of us that are posting this stuff, we're like young in our twenties. We don't, we don't have kids. more time on your hands than you probably ever will. We live in the gym. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Your life is centered around the gym, training, your nutrition. When your next meal is, where are you going to get it from? Have you prepped it? If you're going to eat out, like you've broken down the macros already, all this stuff. Yeah. But to get to that point, you've spent at least six months fully, six to 12 months fully immersed in increasing your level of nutritional literacy as it relates to your body composition and your lifestyle. Because mm-hmm. that's just- that you perfected if, your own yeah. routine. And if that works, if that plan works for you now, that's only based on your current lifestyle. Exactly. Are you going to be able to be flexible enough to- like change it dynamically so it suits a different type of lifestyle. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of fitness professionals, as soon as they're not like in the 10,000 steps a day, four to five strength sessions a week, you know, carbs around training, whatever it is, if they're not doing that, like how would they amend their nutrition to be three or two strength sessions a week, two cardio sessions a week, 4,000 steps a day, 3,000 steps a day, and then stay in the same shape. 
like, would they be capable of doing that? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a guess and say, no, that's just my bias. It's because a lot of them are illiterate about the dynamic nature and how it changes and then how to actually manage that effectively. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's either all or nothing. Yeah, really. Exactly. So it's like, all right, they then think that like, you know, client A or Joe Blow, who's 45 years old and has two kids and has a really good career should be able to understand this. They're just being fucking lazy because they're not spending two minutes tracking their food. But it's like, it's not. It's not two This minutes. person needs to spend that first six to 12 months that you did fully immersed in this because there is nothing autonomous about it. They're in the cognitive stage of learning. Then they've got to get to associative. Then they've got to get to autonomy. You're in autonomy. Yeah. Autonomy is easy. Like driving a car after you get your license a year, like a year or two later, you can do it without thinking. Yeah. That's what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Stop expecting these people to be able to do this and stop talking to them like that. It's like for us and um, Mackenzie, one of our ambassadors and assessors love to always use the analogy of like, Hey, I'm rubbish. Like I'm, I'm rubbish at like numbers and tax, right? I don't like numbers, tax and finances. What would my grandma do? What would my mom tell me? And what do I, Alex, tell him to do? Because I'm like, hey, this is an important area. And I'll say it for all the accredited sports nutritionists, guys, you need to be on top of like tax and finance for sure. So when we look at the graph, it's like refinement. That's part of the refinement. But, um, you know, he's like, it's like asking me to understand that. It's like asking, you know, you're learning a foreign language and that's exactly. how these people need to be approached, right? Definitely. It's like, they don't know. Stop talking down to them. Yeah. They're like really good fathers and mothers and, yeah. um, you know, really good managers and team leaders or, you know, really good family members. They might run nonprofits or, and they work 65 hours a week, whatever it is. Mm. That's where they're at. They don't yeah. have an additional 20 hours a week. They're not going to the gym between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., having a 90 minute to two hours training session, f- fucking around, talking with their friends, talking with their friends who are then immersed in this stuff about ways to improve it as well. Like that, that social dynamic to, to then enhance that isn't there for them. Yeah. So it takes time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think like approaching like tracking, like it's easy and effortless is crazy. I also think that people who have a strong attachment to tracking are setting themselves up for just a different type of compulsive uh, rigid restraint with their, with their nutrition that they're unaware of. It's a subconscious one. And it's, it's, it's inflexible because they can't eat it unless it goes in the app. And so that's no, there's no real difference to then saying, I can't eat this. It's not on my meal plan. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's sort of like being aware of those seeds. So again, if we can come from a place of learning the absolute minimum or learning, learning, learning enough to be effective whilst doing no harm, which is that minimum standard of compliance, that's the certificate in applied sports nutrition, then people will understand the levels of literacy and how to assess someone for how literate they are with their nutrition and with their exercise, both qualitatively and quant- quantitatively as well. Quant is the tracking. Qualitatively is like the feeling, right? How do you feel in these social settings? What's the best choice based on your feeling in the social setting? Like just because your coach says, you have to, you know, prep it and eat only what's in the plan, you know, that might be more destructive long-term than just having a piece of cake at a birthday party. Like I was talking with a friend the other day and she was saying how she remembers her sister's birthday party when it was her 21st, it was a high tea in some park or something like that. And she was on 700 calories at the time prepping for a show, yeah. which is crazy. It's like a 55 kilo girl training uh, six days a week, 15,000 steps, like all this cardio or like twice a day, if it's including cardio and they're on 700 calories and they couldn't have anything like that. Like that person could have a piece of cake and still be in a deficit and still lose fat. Yeah, definitely. But the coach is unaware of that. And so like that does a lot more damage 
in terms of that person's relationship food, with food than some like plastic trophy or metal, you know, that they get on a, uh, like on a day when they're covered in tan in a bikini is going to make positive. Like that's far more destructive. The negative there outweighs the positive, which is like a good comp experience on that day. Yeah. And this person hates comps. Now. Oh, so <laughs> she prepping then. Well, no, well, that was like years ago uh, when she was prepping, right? Post, so, yeah, after so the fact, like she was, cu- coming through the experience, she's yeah. like, hates it. So I think it does happen like that quite often when people look back and they think, mm. I do not know how I did that. But, you know, there are people out there too who do love it. Um, and I think they do understand that there are implications with dieting to that level. Um, and they just accept it because they love the sport. Mm. So there is that too. Um, but I think it, it's a good thing that on social media, especially, bodybuilding is becoming known to be an unhealthy sport, mm. but that's just the nature of it. Yeah, I would say um, nine out of ten people competing shouldn't be. Mm, but then there's one, like you said. There are people who are passionate. And they love it and they've got a good balance and they approach it from the right perspective yeah. and, and that's fine. I did want to ask um, in terms of the bachelor degree, you mentioned that uh, there are some that, you know, might be a bit a bit more focused on nutrition and then others that are more focused on training. Um, if there was a degree, let's say they did nutritional sciences or something. Yeah. What does that allow them to do in terms of practice. Okay. So if you've done health science, nutrition, human nutrition, then you can register with the nutrition society of Australia. Okay. Um, you can then be a registered clinical nutritionist, right? However, you pretty much work in the sector of like public health promotions and also, uh, specifically in like food engineering and menu engineering. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty much your career pathways there. They don't actually want you working clinically, you know, it says like registered nutritionist or clinical nutritionist. They don't want you working in a one-on-one clinical setting. No. Um, which is that there's been a big sort of shift in deviation in the last sort of five to 10 years in that capacity. And again, you know, I've said a few times sort of in, in this chat today that we, um, you know, like the majority of people, 90%, 95% of people, they want weight management outcomes. If they're going to a nutritionist, mm-hmm. they're not covered for that. Right. So it's, I understand now. So basically they're, label would be clinical nutritionist or registered nutritionist Registered yeah. nutritionist. It doesn't necessarily mean they're working in a clinical capacity. Yeah. Actually they won't be. No, but some are, some are, some just ignore it. Like oh, it's crazy. Like there's some, um, like the old internet debate, I would partake in them like a lot more like two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And this one guy was like a low carb nutritionist and he's like, I have all these athletes that I work with low carb and like show me the evidence and blah, 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 something, something. Tim Noakes is amazing and mm. all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Did you know? And this is me two, three years ago, um, not knowing as much as I do now with the university and institute affiliations that I have, um, going to him like, man, you shouldn't be working in that setting. That's not in your scope of practice at all. And if that's how you built your business, one, if you're working with athletes and their goal is key performance and you're trying to fuel them with keto, mm-hmm. you're doing a real disservice. Like their performances will be nowhere near as good Two, you're not covered for that at all. And then three, if like, or like, like, I guess one a would be that, Hey, if they're actually, if they're like an endurance athlete and their heart rate's not getting very high, then give them fat and keto. I get it all day. Right. But if they're not, and their heart rates are getting really high, you're like, doing a shit job as a nutritionist. That's the first thing. Like they're not going to be getting good results. And the second thing was like, if anything goes wrong, you're not covered. If you're registered with the NSA, it was like, yeah, I'm registered. I was like, man, check your insurance. You're not covered. And you shouldn't be posting about this shit online. Mm. And he quickly like shut up and was like, 
oh crap, started messaging me. He was like, I don't, I don't know. You know, like I didn't know any of that and all this kind of stuff. This guy was in like his forties at the time. And like trying to be like, you know, like read the research, it'll change your mind and all this kind of stuff. And then quickly changed his tune. And it was like, no, man, that's not the case. And then was then inquiring about how to become a member. And I was like, man, if you become one of our members, you can't practice like you do. We won't allow it. And so I don't know what this guy's doing now, but he didn't become a member and hopefully he stopped that. And he's, you know, working with people to like promote a healthier life and not working on optimizing performance. And if he is still working, then sorry, bro, your clients are coming third, fourth and fifth or last in their respective fields, or they're amazing and they're genetic outliers and they're respond, they'll respond to anything and, you know, well done, mate, but it's not a result of your protocols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think something to be aware of as well is if you compared nutrition to doing a certificate three and four in fitness, yep. you need to get a cert three and four in fitness to be a personal trainer and you would expect the same for nutrition. You can't expect to become a personal trainer and then think that you can provide nutrition mm. advice without having any formal qualification behind it. In the Cert 3 and 4 in fitness, there's hardly anything to do with nutrition in the first place. They talk about the guys, if you're lucky. It's just think about that in terms of context where, you know, there is a minimum standard for personal trainers and we all know and personal trainers say that when you get into the industry, that is where the learning starts. Yeah. So expect the same with nutrition where you're doing your certificate in applied sports nutrition, you get into the field and then from there you start learning. Yeah. You, that's when you learn how to coach. That's when you learn how to, you know, how to audit meal plans. Yeah. How to tweak people, how to, how to call BS. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the time we're like, oh, it's bullshit. You know, clients lying or something like that. It's like, no, they're completely unaware because they're illiterate. Mm-hmm. So you got to find the thing that they're having that they're not aware that they're having and then not smash them for it. You've then got to coach them effectively to be more aware mm-hmm. and not beat themselves up for that because there's they always, didn't know. There's always a reason for something. Yeah. It's not always down to laziness. No. And even if they are lazy, maybe it's because it's not efficient enough for their lifestyle. Mm. Or if they are choosing not to do something, it's because they don't want to do it. Therefore, there is a better option out there for them. There's always a solution to something. And if you don't understand why something isn't happening the way that you want it to, it's because there could be a better way. Exactly. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not aware of it. Right. So it's like the client won't be aware of the food that they're not eating or the calorie density and energy density of the food that they're eating, mm-hmm. you know? So like nine times out of 10, that's it. And it's like, it's a big ask to ask a mid forties professional mom or dad to weigh everything that they're putting in their mouth. A professional mom and dad. No professional who a professional is a mom and dad. Who is also a mom yeah, and dad. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So a professional <laughs> who is also a mom or dad yeah. to weigh everything they're putting in their mouth. Yeah. Just weigh it, you know, weigh it all and then track it all. It's like, no. Doesn't take two seconds. And you said that as well, it's not an autopilot thing at the start. No, no. It takes it's, 12 months. It goes with a lot of thinking at the start and, 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 and the a, thinking decreases exactly. as you go on. Yeah. And like, a, and a really good, like what I would, my expectations of any accredited sports nutritionist, but especially a graduate and openly accredited sports nutritionist is that they see this person and they're able to support them for that whole 12 months through the ebbs and flows, like what a newly graduated uh, provisional accredited sports nutritionist will experience with building and refining their client list and their success with their clients is what that 12 months is going to look for that client being supervised for them as they're learning what's in food and the behaviors around their lifestyle and what they should be eating and all that stuff, right? They're there for them through that whole 12 months and they're going to help them fall forward and they're going to support them in a constructive way, be hard at times, but more often be encouraging and supportive. 
but do so in a way that's mindful, that's not going to screw them up and give them disorders after the 12 month period or a bad relationship with food or a bad relationship with their body image or a bad relationship with failure. Mm. Right? Yeah, totally. It's like, it's like, how can we fail forwards? Mm. It's like, cool. Have we learned something from this? Cool. You know, what's in this food now. Awesome. Exactly. Okay. So now what are we going to do next time? If you have that, if you have that particular food, oh, well, I'll have like one eighth of it because turns out, you know, the calories that I thought was in it is one eighth or Mm. wow. It's got eight times the amount of calories I thought was in it. Looks like I'm just not going to have that because I'd rather have this for those calories. Mm -hmm. And it's like, awesome, right? Now we can start making better informed decisions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in sort of providing the information that we have today with the subjects we've covered, my goal is that we're just providing more information for people to make better informed choices. It might seem like at times I shit on things or anything like that. It's not my intention. I'm just a bit blunt with how I communicate at times, but I'd rather people, I'd rather be blunt and people be aware so they can make better decisions than people then, then dance around the truth. And then people be like, Oh, well, like, you know, I'm hoping this is good. And then, you know, spend five grand on some program that can't get them accreditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or five grand in six months or 12 months, whatever they've done. And then it's like, cool. Now you can't use this. Or I really should have just enrolled in uni straight away. 